morning again. Welcome to Anchor Church. Again, if you are our guest uh, this morning, thanks for joining us and, and worshiping with us this morning. We are so glad to have you. Today we are kicking off a brand new series called Parables of the Kingdom of God. And as you can probably guess, this series is all about parables of the kingdom of God. Now, uh, a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson, and Jesus used parables all the time. Mark chapter 4 verse 34 actually says, in fact, in Jesus's public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Parables were a crucial part of Jesus's teaching. It was a crucial part of the way Jesus taught people, but they were very often misunderstood. They were very often difficult to, to grasp. And regularly, Jesus would teach crowds, and people would walk away wildly confused, and, and they would per, perhaps even be frustrated and, and discouraged. Why confused? Why frustrated? Why discouraged? Because the topic of Jesus's lessons was a mystery to people, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, but not just the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God is different from the kingdoms of the world, and, and namely, how the kingdom of God is different from what, what, what we think it should be, how we perceive it to be. The kingdom of God is not what we think. That was the topic of a lot of the parables that Jesus told. In fact, Jesus himself tells us what his message is in Luke chapter 4, verse 33. These are the words of Jesus. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Does he say I must preach the good news of my death and resurrection? Nope. I must preach the good news of heaven? No. I must preach the good news of eternal life for everyone. Uh-uh. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And God's kingdom is not like any kingdom this world has ever seen. God's kingdom is completely different. So today, today the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is right-handed power versus left-handed power. Right-handed power versus left-handed power. But before we dive fully into scriptures, uh, I wanted to share a, a thought with you this morning. So uh, in 2016, Netflix, how many, how many people know Netflix, have Netflix? Yeah, pretty good amount of us. Netflix in 2016 debuted a series called Stranger Things. You may have seen it, you may not. Uh, Stranger Things became an instant hit. This TV series or this, this show, the series, whatever, is, uh, set, is set in the 1980s in a fictional town in Indiana called Hawkins. And the premise of this show is this town is plagued by a hostile, um, uh, a hostile alternate dimension called the Upside Down. And uh, it's plagued by the uh, Upside Down because this uh, human experimentation facility opens a gateway between the two dimensions and like it's this crazy sci-fi show, right? So there's this this town, this normal world, you know, living in reality, and they, their reality violently intersects with this alternate counterfeit dimension, and it's like chaos, right? Chaos ensues. The alternate dimension looks like their world. It, it, it resembles their world kind of, but nothing is as it seems. It's inhospitable. It's nasty and gross. It's evil. Well, according to Scripture... There is a reality, and there is a hostile alternate dimension. 
only we, we live in the hostile alternate dimension that's inhospitable. We live in the hostile alternate dimension that is nasty and gross. We live in the, the hostile alternate dimension that is evil. And through his teachings, Jesus is trying to reveal the reality that God always intended for us to live in. If you've ever read the end of his book, right, the end of the Bible, if you've ever read the end of it, you know that, that in the end, God wins and his kingdom is established on earth forever. But if you're inquisitive like me, you ask the question, how does God get the job done? How does he do it? Or, or to put it more bluntly, what does the Bible say about the way God uses his power to accomplish his goal? That's a question that I've asked before. What does the Bible say about the way God uses his power to accomplish his goal? See, God has all the power he needs to do anything he wants, anytime he wants to. God has all the power he needs to do anything he wants, anytime he wants to, but that is not a good way to approach this topic of the kingdom of God. It's not a, a helpful way to approach this topic because that thinking can lead to a lot of frustration. Frustrations like, well, if God has all that power, if God's omnipotent, he can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, why doesn't he just do it? That's a question asked out of frustration. Why is he taking his sweet time? If, if God wants to turn this messed up world into his kingdom, why hasn't he done it yet? Why doesn't he just knock some heads together, put the problem people under a rock, and get on with the job, right? Like, that's a question asked out of frustration, because if God is all-powerful, why doesn't he just do it? Why doesn't he just get rid of evil? This... I think it was this past week in Las Vegas, there were two teenagers who ran down a biker, a, a man riding his bike early in the morning. They ran down this guy in a car on purpose for fun, and they posted it online. Evil. God has the power to stop that with, an, with a word. Why doesn't he just do it? Human trafficking is rampant in our society. God has the power to stop it. Why doesn't he just do it already? Questions like this can, can lead to frustration and discouragement. I want to look a little uh, deeper into what Scripture says about all this. Um, but first, I want you to pray with me. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and thank you for your kingdom. I just um, pray, God, that as we, as we work our way through this series, that um, your, your plans and your purposes will become clear to us. It would become clear to us and we would begin to trust you more and more. Open our eyes, open our hearts to you, God. We love you. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If God has the power to fix everything himself, why doesn't he just leverage that power and do it already? He could snap his fingers and fix everything now if he wanted. So why doesn't he? Well, that's the way we think about power. That's the way that we perceive power. That's the way that we would use power. And there's actually an instance in the Bible where God uses his power in this way. The narrative of the flood in the book of Genesis, God uses his power 
to do this, right? If you don't know the story, in Genesis chapter 6, God sees the complete and total wickedness of humanity, and he decides to hit the reset button. God uses nonstop rain to flood the earth and wipe out all humans except for a handful. And what was the result of that story? God said, I'll never, ever do that again. God uses direct, straight-line power to fix the world, and, and his response to that was, I will never, ever do that again. He made the promise that he would never do that again, revealing an entirely different notion of power, revealing an entire different way of using power. God says that his answer to evil, to the evil that keeps his world, keeps this world from becoming his kingdom, will not involve direct intervention. His answer to the evil that keeps this world from becoming his kingdom will not involve direct intervention. He's not going to swoop down. He's not going to knock heads together. He's not going to do it all himself. Instead, he made a covenant with the world of non-intervention. That's what the, that's what the rainbow signifies. The rainbow is a, a sign from God saying, I'll never, I'll never intervene directly again. I'll never leverage my power that way again. God tells us in Genesis 12 how he intends to establish his kingdom here on earth. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This is God speaking to Abraham before uh, Israel was ever established as a people. He said this to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. God tells Abraham, I'm going to use you to bring my kingdom. I'm going to use you to fix all of this. I'm not going to do it. I could. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use humans who have been empowered through my spirit to fix the world. Now, fast forward through the Israelites being in slavery. Fast forward through the Israelites wandering in the desert. Fast forward through the Israelites um, inhabiting the promised land. And then fast forward through the Israelites in exile. And Jesus is on the scene. Jesus is on the scene. He proclaims that he's come to bring the kingdom of God once and for all so that all of the purposes God has for this world can be accomplished. Jesus comes to, to, and he's proclaiming, I'm bringing the kingdom once and for all. And then he dies. What the heck is that? Good news, though. Jesus beat death, hell, and the grave, and he rose again, and now his power is limitless. But then he leaves. What the heck is that? What is going on? Jesus has all this power, and then he leaves. He, he tells his disciples, much like God told Abraham, I'm going to use you to fix the world. I'm not going to directly get involved. I'm not going to knock heads together. I'm going to use you to establish my kingdom. As far as we can tell right now, there's no apparent kingdom making the world straighten up, right? There's no apparent kingdom making the world fly right. This whole operation began as a mystery. It continued as a mystery. It, it um, came to fruition as a mystery and continues to function this day as a mystery. The kingdom of God is a mystery. Since Noah in, in Genesis chapter 6, God hasn't really had any interest in using direct power to fix the world. And the reason why isn't ever really explained. See, God's reasons many times are, are way more mysterious than even his methods. 
we're not we're not ever going to know all the reasons God does what he does or or you know that kind of thing like but i submit to you today that while straight line direct intervention straight line direct power has like benefits right it yields results it gets the job done it has a major limitation using straight line direct power to accomplish anything damages relationships Using straight line direct power to accomplish anything damages relationships. Forcing people to submit to you damages your relationship with that, per- that, with that person. My childhood and my relationship with my stepfather is exhibit A. Straight line direct power to force me to do things. There was no relationship there. It's the same for God. If he was to use, he has the ability to use infinite power to do whatever he wants but does he want to sacrifice the relationship with all of us to accomplish it? God refuses to use direct, straight-line power because he wants all humanity to come into a loving relationship with him. Personal relationships will be destroyed unless you refuse to use straight-line power. This is what Martin Luther um, He's a 16th century priest and theologian. He founded the Lutheran church. This is what Martin Luther calls left-handed power. Left-handed power. Now, uh, quickly, I think it's important to note in our very politically divided world, this, this idea of right-handed power and left-handed power has nothing to do with politics. Absolutely nothing to do with politics. Let's get that straight. Uh, off the bat. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with the way kingdoms operate. The the kingdoms of this world operate in straight line direct power. The kingdoms of this world use fear to to get you to submit and do what they want. But the kingdom of God operates with indirect intervention in the hopes of preserving relationship with humanity. The kingdom of God refuses to strong arm anyone to get the desired outcome. That's left-handed power. And the left-handed power of the kingdom of God is a mystery to us. Let's look at the proof. Right-handed kingdoms versus left-handed kingdoms. I think we got uh, a a chart up there. Right-handed kingdoms build teams of highly qualified individuals. They select the best of the best. The kingdom of God uses the B team. The kingdom of God uses the outcasts, uses the weaklings to lead the charge. Right-handed kingdoms capitalize on momentum. Oh, things are going well. We got to keep it going. We got to do the next thing. We got to up. What we're, we got to go to the next level. They capitalize on momentum. When Jesus' ministry was on fire and many people, he was reaching many people with his message, what did he do? He secluded himself into, like he went into seclusion and, and he prayed and he sought the face of God. Right-handed kingdoms propagate good press. They post it all over Facebook and all over Instagram and all over Twitter. And, and they post it all over the newspaper. And, and they, they you know, have the evening news come out and do a story on it. When Jesus was healing people and performing many miracles, many times he would instruct people, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Right-handed kingdoms avoid unnecessary controversy. 
They, they straddle the line, they, they, they toe the line, they straddle the fence, they, they try to appease everybody. Jesus specifically did things that he knew was gonna ruffle the feathers of the religious elite. Right-handed kingdoms leverage time and influence. I've only got time for the most important people and, and right-handed king, kingdoms spend time glad-handing people who are going to be able to benefit them. Jesus spent a lot of time with children. He took time for children whom society saw as worthless. Right-handed kingdom versus left-handed kingdom. I could keep going, but I think you get the point. The the left-handed power of the kingdom of God is a mystery. Why am I using the analogy of right-handed and and left-handed? Your right hand is governed by the left hemisphere of your brain. The left hemisphere of your brain is responsible for logic and plausibility. It's logical to use direct power to get what you want or need. That's logical. Just overpower somebody to get what you want. Run them over. Steamroll them, right? Like all these different phrases. It's logical to use direct power to get what you want or need. Adversely, your left hand is governed by the right hemisphere of your brain, which is the imaginative side. It's open. It's intuitive, right? And the world sees left-handed power as weakness, the world sees left-handed power as weakness. And more than that, left-handed power, listen, left-handed power will not be able to stop anybody who is determined to do evil. It won't. Left-handed power will not be able to stop anybody who's determined to do evil. It might soften their hearts, but it might not. It didn't for Jesus. Jesus operated in this left-handed power mentality, and he was murdered by people who hated him. Left-handed power didn't stop that evil. What left-handed power does is ensure that no relational bridges will be burned on your end. That's what left-handed power does. It ensures that no relational bridges will be burned on your end. The left-handed power of the kingdom of God is a mystery. This may not seem like power at all. It may not seem like a kind of power that you want to have, but actually, it's the greatest power in the world. It's the only power, it's the only thing in the world that evil can't touch, this kind of power. God proved this when Jesus died to redeem creation. It was, it was almost like, like when Jesus died on the cross, God was like, there, corrupt, corrupt that. You can't do it, right? Like the, the left-handed power is the only thing that evil can't touch. The ministry of Jesus is the manifestation of God's deep desire for left-handed, indirect power as opposed to the right-handed, plausible one. Um, there are two events in Scripture uh, that actually frame Jesus' ministry, and they reveal his preference for his kingdom to be established with left-handed power. Um, those two events are the temptation in the wilderness and the ascension into heaven. Both deal with the use of power as the Messiah, and I want to look at those today. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, this is the temptation of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan River, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. 
Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. The devil's basically saying, you have the power to cure your hunger right now. You need to eat. Do it. You have the power to turn this stone into a sandwich. Do it. Some theologians actually um, theorize that the devil was actually uh, making a larger claim. Jesus, you have the power to fix world hunger. Just do it. And let's look at Jesus' left-handed response. Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. He recites Deuteronomy chapter 3. That's God's, that's God's prescription to the physical hunger the Israelites uh, endured in the desert. The left-handed power of the kingdom of God is a mystery. Verse 5, then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the, of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Satan's saying, forget the bread business. For, forget the bread. Let's team up. With, with my brains, Jesus, and your brawn, we could have this place looking like Eden in six months. Let's, let's do it, right? All you got to do is worship me. That's it. That tiny little thing. And we could accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Let's look at Jesus' left-handed response. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how smart you think you are. It doesn't matter how effective your methods are. I serve one person. I, have, I, I get my orders from one source, and I'm loyal to him, and I follow him, and I'm after his mission. The left-handed power of the kingdom of God is a mystery. In verse 9, the devil took him up, uh, took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Satan looks at Jesus and he says, look, I'm concerned about people's deep spiritual needs. People need to know that you're the Messiah. Prove it to them. Prove it to them. Defy death. De let the angels save you from death. Prove to the world. Let, th let them see the scriptures come to life before their eyes. And let's look at Jesus' left-handed response. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. So I see that as Jesus is saying, like, Jesus is saying, look, just get out of here. <laughs> like, we clearly don't see this power thing the same way. Like, you see it one way, I see it another way, and we're not going to agree, so just get out of here, right? Like, the, the left-handed power of the kingdom of God is a mystery. In the temptation of Jesus, the devil repeatedly offers Jesus opportunities to use direct, straight-line power to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. And every single time, Jesus refuses to use direct intervention. He defers to this left-handed power. 
The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness is the event that kicked off the ministry of Jesus. Now I want to look at the event that concluded the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' last earthly act, the ascension into heaven. So Jesus uh, died and he rose from the grave and he spent 40 days kind of rallying the troops, right, his disciples. And then he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. This is Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. It says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our right-handed kingdom. I added that right hand part in there. Like, I hope you guys forgive me for that. Like, but I'm trying to drive the point home. The disciples still didn't get it. They still didn't understand that Jesus was deferring this right-handed stuff. But that, that's what they wanted. They wanted him to establish a right-handed kingdom. They wanted him to sit on a physical throne and be an earthly king. And Jesus is like, sheesh, guys, you don't get it. Like, you're you're not understanding. Let's look at Jesus' earthly, or uh, left-handed response, not earthly, excuse me. Verse 7, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth. Jesus again refuses to use direct straight line intervention and power to accomplish his work. The resurrected Jesus beat hell, right? He's bound by nothing. He could literally snap his fingers and fix everything in a moment, and he refuses to do it. He refuses to stick around and get involved in that way. Instead, he leaves it to his disciples. Verse 9, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Again, the omnipotent Jesus who has the power to fix everything, leaves. He leaves. He's gone. He, he leaves it to the mortal disciples who are fallible. They're scared. They're just not great people, right? <laughs> like, like, he leaves it to his followers. He refuses to directly get involved. The left-handed power of the kingdom of God is a mystery. Uh, worship team, you can come to the platform. Pastor Ryan, what does this have to do with us? It's <laughs> a great question. And if you're asking yourself that question right now, I totally get it. Uh, I've given you a lot of information today about a topic that is truly shrouded in mystery. It's, it's truly shrouded in mystery. What does this have to do with us? Before we get into the parables of the kingdom, um, I think we need to understand what the kingdom is about. And I think we need to understand that the kingdom of God isn't going to come about because of what the world does to itself. The kingdom of God isn't going to come about because of what God does to the world. Rather, the kingdom of God is already here. 
the kingdom of God has already been established. When Jesus died on the cross and then he rose from the grave, like the kingdom of God is already here because of that. Jesus has already accomplished everything that he's set out to do. That's the mystery of the king, kingdom of God. The kingdom already exists, exists in the king himself. What does this have to do with us? Like, like the disciples, our relationship with the mystery of the kingdom of God is, is not based on our knowledge of God. It's not based on our performance for God. It's based on trust in him. It's based on trust in his promises. Trust that our king is who he says he is and that he's going to do everything he said he was going to do. Everything else is out of our hands and over our heads. The power of the kingdom of God is a mystery. What does this have to do with us? Somehow the church, the not anchor church, the big C church, right? The body of Christ. Somehow the church got the idea that the Holy Spirit came to operate in logical, plausible, right-handed ways. Somehow the church got the idea that the Holy Spirit came to, to do things that, that Jesus never did. That, that the Holy Spirit could be counted on to deliver in a way that Jesus never delivered. But through the death and resurrection, Jesus already accomplished everything. That's the mystery of the power of the kingdom of God. Jesus already accomplished everything. The kingdom is already here. What does this have to do with us? This kind of left-handed power means that Jesus already is the way, the truth, and the life. Not, not that he one day will be, he already is. This kind of left-handed left -handed power means that Jesus already is the resurrection. Not that he one day will be, he already is. John chapter 10, verse 10, these are the words of Jesus. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now. I've come that you may have life to its fullest measure now, not tomorrow, not next year, not one sweet day, now. That's the mystery of the power of the kingdom of God, the left-handed power of the kingdom of God. Over the next several weeks, we're going to examine eight parables, eight parables in scripture that Jesus uses to try to help his followers understand the kingdom of God, the left-handed power of the kingdom of God. And over the next eight weeks, my prayer is that we come to know God more and we come to know his ways more through these powerful parables told by his son. So let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for your kingdom and thank you, God, that we don't have to work for your kingdom to be here. It's already here. It's already been established. We just need to trust your Holy Spirit 
to help us expand your kingdom, to help us save as many people from the kingdom of darkness as we can. Thank you, God. I pray, God, that um, as we continue in this series, that we would come to know you at a deeper level, that we would come to know you more and, and your desire for your kingdom here on earth. Help us to know you more, God. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, what I want to do right now is I want to take a few moments and I just want to respond. I don't want us to rush through this moment just yet, so please don't, don't leave just yet. Let's take a few minutes and let's just respond to what the Spirit of God is doing in us right now. Um, The worship team is going to lead us in a song. Um, you can sing. You can sit and pray. You can meditate. You can stand, whatever. Whatever you need to do to respond, I want to encourage you to do that. But let's not, again, let's not rush through this moment right now. So um, stand with me if you want. And uh, worship team, you can lead us. Thank you, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer today, God. Before we're dismissed this morning, um, I have a few next steps that I want to leave you with that I want to challenge you with. And these next steps are just uh, tangible things that we can do to take the message and apply them to our life this week. Um, the first one is, is this week I will memorize Luke 4:43, And these are the words of Jesus. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. Jesus was sent to preach about the kingdom of God. The next, uh, the next step is this. This week I will read the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, one through nine, Mark four, one through nine, Luke uh, eight, four through eight. This is the first parable that we're gonna kick off with next week. Um, so I wanna challenge you to, to read it and come, come prepared for next week because it's, it's gonna be good. Um, and then the last one, this week I will invite someone to sit with me at Anchor Church. So um, yeah, God's, God's kingdom is a mystery and the power he uses to advance his kingdom, to establish the kingdom is it, it a mystery. Let me say um, one last prayer for you and then we can be dismissed. God, we love you. We thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to come and worship you and hear your word. And I just pray God today as we go that um, we would be drawn closer to you, that you would pull us in nice and tight and we, we, we could feel your presence today. Thank you, God, that you've, that you've sought relationship with us. And finally, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for worshiping with us, everybody. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.